2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first annual Bibleverse Draft. My name is Richard Young. Allow me to introduce the contestants from Massachusetts at Power Forward and Southwestern Adventist University, Jonathan Leonardo. From Minnesota and Union College, Tyler Michael Morrison. From Virginia? I don't know where Ben's from. I think he's from Virginia. From Virginia, Ben Williams. From somewhere in California, Justin Koo. And me, Richard Young, from the Kansas City area and it, and your heart. Uh, this is the Bible verse draft, and uh, it's a bonus episode. It's not your typical Death of Life episode, but I think you're going to love it. And we go pretty deep. And uh, just like in a sports draft where you draft uh, a player, we're drafting Bible verses. And today's Bible verse draft, like I said, just a bonus episode. Today's Bible verse draft is commonly misunderstood Bible verses. So we do a snake style draft where we go through and we're drafting commonly misunderstood Bible verses. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. And I think I explain it during the podcast as well, but you'll hear it. You'll catch on to it. Um, and uh, buckle up, strap in. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Bible verse draft. Okay, everybody, welcome to the first uh, Bible Draft episode in the history of the Death Alive podcast. This is crazy. Uh, man, the energy in this room. The energy in this room. Man, it's exciting. Okay, um, for the first theme of uh, the Bible Draft, and I don't know the best way to say it. Is it commonly misunderstood Bible verses? Uh, commonly taken out of context Bible verses. It's the idea of uh, there's a Bible verse that we have heard or is in the, uh, it's it's out there in the culture, but typically has been under misunderstood. And that those are the verses that we're going to be drafting today. And I want to throw it to you guys. 
Um, why is it so important? And or give me an example of a time that uh, you uh, were just taking Bible verses out of context, left and right, and uh, how damaging it was to you. <laughs> and don't make me pick somebody because I will pick somebody right now. Why is this important? Taking Bible verses in context. Because when I read Romans seven as being the futility of a Christian life, then I gave myself permission to continue to sin because I'd never be better than my actions. Since the Bible told me that I'm just a wretched man that could never be better. So if you find yourself in the text in your unconverted and unspirit lived position, and you use that as permission to participate in licentiousness, that should be pretty damaging because it goes in contrast to the life that Jesus paid such a high price for us to have. <laughs> Jeez. And roll the tape. Does it, can, can anybody else say Sounds anything? like we're here for some fun times. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, man, bad theology kills, right? And bad theology starts when we're not reading the Bible the right way, when, when we're cherry-picking Bad How theology guys also in- enslaves ask black people in America. Oh, Have mercy. Ooh, is that going to come up? Man, he's, is, we're going to look. Maybe that's a verse that he will. has on deck. I feel like Jonathan used two of his four already. Uh, we're we're <laughs> yeah. about to find out. So, um, Somebody drafts those before he gets a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys uh, heard a pastor preach and he's having this sermon and he takes uh, a Bible verse completely out of context to buttress his point? that doesn't even need buttressing and it's like about a political thing or something like that. Or in an argument, someone will bring up a Bible verse that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but they're like, but see, the Bible says it. Yeah. I, Any I, examples I of this? A, I really yeah, but, a letter from a church member with 12, 12 things that I need to do better in for our church service. And they were all just wildly out of like, stop letting women up front. Like, he, one of the other things he said, I need to grow my hair out longer. And it was just these random like half verses that he would quote in there. And it was just, it was so funny. It was 12 of them. And it was, I wish I, I should have brought the letter. That would have been a great. You <laughs> might have dollar. won this whole contest if you would have had, if you would have had that letter. It's in my car. I gotta go get it. <laughs> Tyler, go ahead. I was just going to say, if I had a dollar for every time somebody told me that I need to grow my hair out longer, I'd have how many dollars, Jonathan? How many did you offer me? <laughs> 10,000. <000. laughs> Uh, I might, I yeah. might take you up on that now, Tyler. Why do you think it's important uh, to uh, take the Bible verses in context? Uh, I mean, honestly, if I give you examples, I'm going to be stepping on the verses I'm trying to draft. But I just double down on what Jonathan said, what Ben said, where it's actually extremely damaging to our lives to believe lies about God, and those lies, when they're informed and reinforced by Scripture, by Scripture being taken out of context or incorrectly, then, I mean, it's just obviously the worst. So, I think, yeah, historically, some of the most oppressive systems have used the Bible out of context. And Jonathan referenced that. Uh, You could go back to before the Reformation and see how the Catholic Church, uh, the Roman Catholic Church was also doing that. It's just the Old Testament, same thing. It just happens. Yeah, man. Tyler, man, uh, you guys are since you and Jonathan are in the same room, the listeners don't know that, but one of you's got to mute or mute yourselves until uh, you want to say something because mm. it's echoey. As Maybe I'll mug. just go to another room. I could just do that. Bye Tyler. Oh shoot. Um, Pause. Okay. Pause. While Tyler, while Tyler's going to the other room, um, what is, if we could say 
two of the most important things to be able to read the Bible in the way that it's supposed to be understood. Uh, and I'm going to go to Justin for this. What's one of the the number one things if, if someone's like, I don't want to, I don't want to misunderstand what this is saying. Uh, what's something you could give to somebody like, how are we to understand this book that was written so long ago? Uh, I think for me, perhaps one of the most important keys is just having a clear picture of who the father is. I mean, this is this is the life and purpose and mission of, of Jesus, right? It's to reveal the father so we could see him correctly. Uh, and I think that a lot of verses that uh, ultimately end up causing some level of real harm or trauma is is oftentimes rooted in a misunderstanding of who God is and his character. And I don't know, in my experiences where I have weaponized verses out of context, it's always been because I've been stepping outside of the character of God. And so I think that when we see God correctly, we have a better lens through which to read the text. And that's what's up. Uh, Ben, I'm going to ask you this. What do we do with difficult passages? I think... One, for me at least, is praying. And then two, also just finding someone to talk through it with. Um, I think often we come to, we go to other people with our assumptions rather than going with our questions. And I think it could be really helpful. If I come to a verse and it just says some wild stuff and I have no understanding, like go to, go to somebody that you know loves scripture and jump into that question with them. Um, for me, that's been super helpful because although maybe I have weird assumptions and things I bring to the text, they'll be able to call me on that and they'll be able to ask the same question alongside me. That's what's up, man. That's a great answer. And I think um, this is going to be a good segue. One of the uh, one of the great ways to read scripture is to read it as it was written, meaning the context is important. Read before, read after, see what the whole thing is about. And uh, that leads us into the categories, okay? Because the first category, and I mean, obviously they're not first. You can take a verse in any one of these categories, but we're going to take a verse and it's going to go into one of four categories. Uh, The first category is keep reading or slash read before, meaning people take this verse out of context because they either read it and it's in the culture and they don't read what's right before it or what's right after it. And so they use it to make this point that the Bible is not making. So that's category number one, which is read the whole thing. Uh, Category number two, Old Testament. Category number three, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then category number four, the Epistles. And uh, this is how the game works. In a few moments here, I'm going to draw names out of my hat. That's the draft order. It's going to be a snake draft. For those who don't know, that means if Tyler is the first pick, he'll pick. And then if Jonathan's the last pick, it'll go Tyler, then everyone, and then it goes to Jonathan. Jonathan would have two picks in a row, and then it would go backwards back to Tyler. So it's nice to get that first pick, Tyler, but then you don't have another pick for nine picks. So you got to be strategic. With that pick, if you want to get, if you want to get your uh, your verses in there, so um, since this is the first time, maybe we'll have some uh, mistakes or whatever. But are we are we are you boys ready to to draft this mug out? How are you guys feeling? Tyler, did you, you say good? did you say Old Testament is one of the the topics or no? Yeah, Old Testament. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, then I'm ready. 
<laughs> Old Testament, uh, Gospels, and let, let me, I have, I'm going to use my hat here, and I'm going to reach into my hat for the first pick, and the first pick of the first Bible draft is, what does it say? <gasps> Justin Koo. Justin Koo. All right. Justin is drafting number one. And that must mean that his squad was garbage last year. Okay. Because he's got the number one pick in the draft. Okay. Justin reaching in here. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Jonathan Seventh Day Sabbath with the the number two pick in the draft. With the number two pick, uh, we have Jonathan. Um, and uh, let me just say this. When you pick, I would love for you to give the misunderstanding or what is commonly known and then then talk about it. Why is it misunderstood? With the next pick, oh, we got Big Rich. I'm picking third. Picking after Jonathan, Seventh-day Sabbath. And also, um, never mind. We'll, we'll just play it like it. Play it as it lays. And then this is the big one right here. Who's going last? <laughs> Tyler's going last because Ben is the fourth pick. Perfect. Man, that's Perfect. the catbird seat. Oh, you get your two. You get your two verses. Yep. Back to I'm back, gonna Tyler. love that. So you just get to see us all playing ourselves. And then, ben, if you pick the verses that I told you I want to pick, I will be so mad. I Wait, there was some cross competition conversations happening before the recording. No, uh, just a little bit of collusion. <laughs> nothing, to, nothing, to, nothing to worry about. All right, so uh, Justin, man, you're up with the first pick of the first Bible draft ever. You better not oh, mess man. this up. What is your oh, pick? Man. Okay, precedence. Give us the the pick, the category, and your explanation, and let's talk about it. All right, so I'm looking. Uh, this will probably go under New Testament. Oh no, sorry, this is going to go under. Keep reading. Keep reading. Keep right? reading. First uh, John chapter one and verse. I know what you're all thinking. It's not verse nine. It's verse eight. First John one verse eight. <laughs> which says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, which of course we would say a hearty amen to that. But I think the reason why I wanted to start with this one is because I think the misunderstanding is this, is that whenever we preach the message of freedom from sin, at least for me, this is oftentimes one of the most common objections. No, Paul can't be telling the truth in Romans 6 when he says things like, you are free from sin. If you have died in Christ, you have been set free. There's no way that he's telling the truth there because in 1 John, it says that we can't possibly declare that we have no sin. Did y'all, I don't know if y'all. Oh no, I'm vibing with what you're saying. I'm waiting. So are you saying that Paul and John disagree? (laughs) Well, I think that's, that's the tension, right? Is that people, when we weaponize one verse against another verse, that isn't inherently what we're saying is that one person is lying versus the other person is lying. And it's just not a really fun way to do Bible study because it just, it just doesn't work. We're using the Bible against itself. And I don't think that's the way it was meant to be read. But one of the things that I love about this, and this emerged at the Good Good Bible Study a couple of weeks back, was paying attention to a couple of the verses before. Uh, for example, it's verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Hmm. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Sorry, if we have, if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not us. So what I understand that this passage is less saying, it's not about denying what Jesus has done and the freedom that we get to experience and the transformation that we get to live and experience and the victory that is ours that we get to walk out every day. It's more about 
standing with pride in the face of the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus did this thing on my behalf, but I don't need it because I'm mm. already good. I'm good before Jesus showed up. This is, I think, what 1 John 1, 1.8 is talking about. And what makes that more clear to me is verse 7 is that we're actually cleansed from all sin. So it is not audacious to repeat the words of Paul that I am free from sin. It is not audacious to repeat the words of Jesus that if I've been set free, I am free indeed. It is not audacious to repeat Revelation 1, which says that he has freed us from sin. It's actually just repeating truth because (laughs) in 1 John 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I think I'm tripping because why didn't I think this was going to be the overall number one pick? Because this is the verse. This is the verse that people throw all the time when we're preaching freedom from sin. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very apropos that in the first uh, draft ever, that's the first. Because I think we can conclude 1 John 1, 9 and that whole thing. That's this whole idea. Um, Someone else want to comment on that? Jonathan, did you want to say something? I, I feel like you have something about to come out your mouth. I do. So Morgan was the first person I think that came along and said, read it and was like, oh, that's me. And it was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. She was like, I'm the person that would say I was without any sin. She was like, I knew Jesus died for me, so I was a sinner, quote unquote. But she was like, if you would have asked me what it was, like I wasn't praying and confessing anything. I wasn't, you know what I mean? So yeah, that was just that, that clarity came alongside with that revelation that Justin just shared. So that was cool. So... There's a scholar by the name of Bruce um, Longenecker, right? And Bruce Whoa. Longenecker is um, is just an amazing scholar, and he actually wrote a book called Rhetoric at the Boundaries, the Art and Theology of um, New Testament Chain Link Transitions, right? So think about a, a chain and the way it's linked. You have one link links into another, Right. But as you look at it, as you look at, if you, if you stretch the chain and you're looking at it from left to right, before you see the other side of the first link in between both of them is the other link in linked in between, right? So in the sense of, right, if you're looking at, if you take a chain and you make tension into it, and you span from left to right, what you're actually going to see as you span is chain link. Then you're going to see the next chain link inside of the first chain link. And then the end of the first chain link. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Okay. That's the same way that these texts work. They chain link one another. So for instance, first John one, five begins with, this is the message that we've heard and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Right. So that's the first side of the first chain. Then it's linked with verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we do not lie and practice truth. So the first chain link is light. The second chain link is darkness. But that second chain link is inside of the first one. So it's clicked. So then that's why verse seven. But if we walk in the light. So you see how verse five and seven agree. Verse six and eight agree. Right. Hmm. Then nine concludes so that. What's interesting is that when Jason, um, Jason, when Justin highlights, Jeez, how, many, verse, how many years have we known each other? <laughs> not long enough, apparently, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so that when you see in verse um, eight, when people take it 
as a standalone, they're not actually seeing the way that the rhetoric is building. And the rhetoric is building in such a way that the previous verse is meant to contrast the next link, right? So that you see verse seven, like you're cleansed from all sin, verse eight. But if you say you don't have sin, then what does that mean? You're not actually the person of seven who gets cleansed because if you say you have no sin, then why would you ever need cleansing? So it undermines the conclusion of verse nine, that verse nine is the person who got cleansed back in verse seven and they got cleansed by way of confession. Hmm. Anyway. That's powerful, man. The chain link. Um, why don't you set it off with your first pick in the, uh, in the draft, Jonathan? Uh, my first pick in the draft. You know, I don't even have... I haven't even thought about this. I'm just doing it right now as we go. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick <laughs> Romans. What category? Remember? Pick oh, category. I got to pick a category first. Epistles. You can go Romans. It's only one it of epistles. two. You, it, could, it could either be in keep reading or epistles. A keep reading or epistles? Oh, well, a keep reading. The low-hanging fruit is 1 Corinthians 15. Don't give that. Is that that's his. That's his first pick. He said it. That's it. He it's final. So go ahead and tell us the verse. First Corinthians 15. <laughs> yes. All right. So then I'll just do uh first Corinthians 15, I guess, for keep reading. Uh okay, so that's a, okay. Your first pick is first my, Corinthians and, 15. And, yeah, aren't you the commissioner? So don't you announce it? So I we should be like texting you this so that the, you announce it. <laughs> no, like, you the, are announcing it. With the second in pick the in the inaugural, yeah. what is this? This Bible something draft? What's the name yeah, of it? I like that. I'll text you my pick, Rich. What is no, this? that's not happening. The Bible verse draft. All right. In the with the second pick in the inaugural Death to Life Bible verse draft, the <laughs> the Jonathan Leonardo's select First Corinthians fifteen. What's the verse? Is it fifties? No, 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 it's I not fifties. No, yeah, yeah, but it's First Corinthians fifteen thirty one. Fifteen thirty one. What what's that verse about? Tell I protest, about. brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. Right. Um. And and the keep reading offer is to start a little earlier, and to keep reading past to like thirty four. Right where he says, what do I gain if this is verse 32? What do I gain if humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Let us drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as it is right. and Do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> Paul goes hard. The context of First Corinthians 15 is resurrection. And Paul is making a claim that why would I preach Jesus Christ if there is no resurrection? Like right. there's actual resurrection. So the context is resurrection and he is undermining the idea that somehow Jesus has been spiritually resurrected and that he has already returned to the earth. And he's like, you fools. There is a very real bodily resurrection that happens and it is in the order of the second Adam. And he says this later in the chapter about the man from the, Earth was a man of dust. That's Adam one. But then the man from the heavens, heavens is a spirit. 
man, right? That's Jesus and that you're raised in that spirit body. So his whole argument is about resurrection. And then he makes the claim that if there is no bodily resurrection, then why did he fight with the beasts at Ephesus, right? This is verse 32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beast of Ephesus if the dead are not raised, right? So why would Paul be willing to present his body to be actually murdered and killed if he did not have the promise that he would, in fact, be raised, right? Mm-hmm. So that then the context of 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty one is that he's protesting. He's like, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ, that I die every day, meaning what? I face death every day. I, I put on my death every day in the sense that I walk into death every day. I walk into the possibility of being stoned, of being shipwrecked, of being beaten, of being crucified, of being murdered for the sake of the gospel. And why would I willingly do that if I don't have the promise of bodily resurrection? That is, if and he says it in this chapter, if we hope on Jesus Christ only for this life, then we are above all men to be pitied. This is not some humanistic perspective of living your best lives now so that we can bring, you know, Coca-Cola smiles to the world. This is not about, you know, this isn't, uh, I'd like to offer the world a Coke. Like this is not hippie love for the sake of the generations that come behind us. Right. And then I I, I willingly give myself on the altar of human utopia. No, Paul's like, yo, if I don't have the promise of bodily resurrection, why in the world would I be willing to die for this? Why would I face death every single day? And so the misapplication of this verse leads us to believe that there is some sort of interior flesh monster that is still absolutely fighting for supremacy. So it's this pervasive Gnostic and pagan lie that you have two natures at war within you, which is not biblical at all. In the Bible, you're either one or the other, right? And this pervasive lie that, oh, well, you know, you got the white dog and the black dog, you know, whichever one wins is the one that you feed, right? And then one of them is the bad dog. One is the good dog, right? And I'll let, I'll let, I'll let people's racism decide which one is which, right? But this pervasive idea (laughs) that we have this dual nature where scripture says that the fullness of deity dwelt in him bodily and you have been filled in him, right? You are filled. It's not like it's partial spirit and then partial something else. You're either in the flesh or in the spirit. And so when we read, misread this text, we frame this text around our own experiential struggle of not seeing the fruit of the gospel in our lives. And then we frame the text as though it's saying that we have to put the flesh to death every single day, because if we don't, that's what's going to give it permission. And yet the text actually tells us that Jesus put the flesh to death once and for all. And what we have the privilege of doing is that believing that that one sacrifice is sufficient for us all. But if we localize the text in our own experience, we modify it to meet our experience. And then we lessen the supremacy of the gospel. So if I 
see the text through my experience. I modify the text to meet my experience. And in modifying the text to meet my experience, I take it off its supreme pedestal and lessen it lessen it to my limited understanding so that the text must mean that I somehow have to die every day because the first time I died didn't take and it has to happen over and over again. And so we subtly insert works and merit theology into the way we view the gospel because we have to do, we have to do, we have to do instead of believing that it's done. And because it's so supremely done, we can actually face death every day with confidence. So that's my pick. And that's why I picked it here. I stand. I can do no other. (laughs) It's honestly, it's not a bad first round pick. The more that you, the more that you started talking about it, I was thinking about it. I literally (laughs) had a conversation about it yesterday and why I think it's such a strong first round pick is because of how clear it is when you do read it in context. So one, how widespread that misunderstanding is that you just laid out. And then two, how clear it is when you actually have it presented in the context of the whole chapter. So that's that's a strong pick. That is a strong pick. I I did not think he was going to come heavy like that. I did not anticipate that. Uh, That's such a strong pick because, and I'm going to use this to go right into my pick, because if there's a, a saying in, Sabbath schools across the USA, I die daily is a got to be near the top. But the second one is going to be my first pick. If you don't, and I'm going to have it, I'm going to have it in the category of keep reading. And my first round pick is Romans 3 23. Ooh. And it says this For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man, we love that verse. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen, brother. Amen. Can I hear? Can I hear it? I'm but, surprised. <laughs> hey, man, this is a strategy, man. If everyone's going to take the keep reading ones, I got to get in mine. I got to get mine. But why it's in the keep reading category for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God is because if you keep reading, the next verse says, "And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." So Paul's not being like. Like, we, we take this verse, why, when do we use this verse? We use this verse to be like, hey, 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 I, I'm just a normal human being. You're like, all have sinned and fallen short, and so I'm a part of that people, you know? And we're highlighting this part of the verse that is, I don't believe what Paul is highlighting here. He's like, hey, everyone's got this problem, but everyone's got this reward. So we just chill with the problem, and we don't, not reward, gift. And we don't talk about the gift that Jesus has given us. Uh, and so whenever we hear somebody, and like I said, in Sabbath schools across the, the world, uh, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, keep reading, and are justified by his graves as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Romans 3.23 is the number one. Wait, hold on, hold on. Let's just, I'm yeah, mad. you got to dwell on that verse just a little more because. Do it. Do you see do the it. connection between that verse back to First John 1? Tell me. Well, all have sinned and fallen short. This is First John 1 8. This is First John. Like, if you say that you have no sin, then you're lying. Because right. Romans 3.23 clearly tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? But then you're justified freely. So your rightness with the God, and, and this is what's so pressing when you put these things together, is that your rightness with God is not determined by your confession. 
So that first John one mm-hmm. nine is not some mechanism to be right with God. Like, oh, but if we confess our sins, so then the weight of action is on you, right? No, no, no. If you confess your sins, then you can actually see the reality correctly that you are in fact justified via what Christ has done, right? So then the reception of the gift that is yours is actually able to be received because the confession of the truth of sin in your relationship to it through Christ Jesus has been unveiled through his kindness, which is why Romans chapter two, mm. verse four talks about it's the kindness of God that brings men to repentance, right? Repentance, yeah. And why is the yeah. kindness of God bringing men to repentance? Because all have sinned and fallen short. Like there is not one that is not in need of what Christ has actually achieved for us. The ones that resist it are the ones that are so wrapped up in pride that they say, oh, well, I don't have any sin to actually repent of, so I'm good, right? And we saw a, an right. example of this just a few years ago during the former presidential election cycle versus Trump and Hillary. This isn't a knock on either, right? Like, And this isn't a... a, 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 a What's the validation endorsement? Thank you. That's the word. Yeah, this isn't an endorsement <laughs> yeah. on either. It's just to raise the example that at one point, former President Trump was interviewed, and he actually said, "I don't, I don't, I don't have anything to ask for forgiveness for." Right? Like I don't, I don't know why I would ask I believe for him. any sin. Right? It's <laughs> a straight shooter. <laughs> so that's just an example. Like again, this is not endorsement for or against. Right? Um, if you actually knew my politics, you'd be surprised. Um, but. It's not endorsement for and against, but it's just an example of what First John one eight looks like, right? That mm. doesn't disqualify him wow, from the presidency. A- that just demonstrates <laughs> that he is a prideful man. <laughs> that yeah. is also yeah. that's, lying that's, about that's, his need of a savior. That's a really strong argument as to why First John one eight is a stronger pick than, than the <laughs> aforementioned verse in Romans. Okay, Justin, very good. Thank you uh, for trashing my number one pick. Uh, we're going to go to Benjamin for his pick. Number one. I can't wait. Fourth, I think I'm fourth overall. I just wait, I need to number- interject really quick, just for the sake of the draft side of things. All gold, all gems being shared so far about the beautiful interpretation of Scripture. But for anybody that knows Richard Young, we know that you're lying when you pick Romans 3 before Romans 7, if Romans 7 is actually on the board. <laughs> No, man, I'm playing the category game, fool. And I get to pick again before Jonathan picks. You're not getting that. Go ahead, Ben. Oh, okay, you're going to pick it? Okay. Um, fourth overall pick, I choose from the Gospels category. Oh! Yep, no worries. Matthew chapter 19, verse 20. Six. Yo, real quick, Ben, why does it sound like you decided to have a microphone and stand 30 feet away from it and participate <laughs> in this conversation? That's exactly what he did. Is that better? Is that, does this sound better for oh, you? Oh, you I thought, better. I didn't even know you had he a does, microphone. Bro. <laughs> this dude, yeah, I don't know. I, if I'm be honest, like, I forgot. I want to have a nice microphone, but I, I want to sound no, like far away. Here, let me. I think every Here episode of that he was on for the move, it was like that. 
It's because I forget about the microphone because I'm so used to not having it. Like I picture the microphone <laughs> being in one just... corner of the room and then Ben actually standing in the other corner of the room like at attention and speaking to the microphone PVC and pipe. not desiring to go any closer. He's like, I stand here. The microphone was actually in the guest room adjacent yeah. to this room. It wasn't even yeah. in the same room. <laughs> so note note to the editor, please turn his microphone up. <laughs> yeah. Do I, I can just point. re-say it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Matthew 19.26. What is it saying, Matthew bro? I'm 19, excited. Matthew 19.26. It says this. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Ooh. And I know I that. I don't know that I'm going to like where this is going. <laughs> oh. Well. That's a nice verse. You're saying I'm not <laughs> going to go the there NBA. Anyway. <laughs> you say, can't yeah. be an astronaut tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, you can't. Well, I don't. yeah, you're wearing glasses. You literally can't be an astronaut. Oh, man. That's cold-blooded. Yeah, no, but people use this verse for anything and everything. It's a little catch-all. Like, you know, I'm not doing, I didn't, I didn't study for my test last night, but hey, with man, it's impossible. With God, L, things are possible. And people, I mean, <laughs> sports players ben will Carson like. Carson in this test. Yeah, sports players love this one too. I mean, be like, listen, I I know we're zero and fifteen, and we're going up against the nineteen and zero team, but with with God, all things are possible. But if we look at this verse, it's it's in the context of the rich young ruler, and I don't know. Last time you guys read the rich young ruler, but the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and the disciples, and he says, "Hey, what good thing do I have to do to get into heaven?" And Jesus is basically like, "Have you kept the Ten Commandments?" He's like, "Yeah, I, I kept all the Ten Commandments." And he says, okay, uh, cool. And he says, so then what else do I need to do? And he's like, uh, I guess to be perfect, you need to sell everything and follow me. And then you'll get the kingdom. And then the rich young ruler walks away and he's really, really sad. And then the disciples get really confused and they're a little bit stressed out. And they're like, if he can't make it and he's been keeping all these 10 commandments, how can we make it? How can anybody make it? Like, and they start getting a little bit stressed. And this is when Jesus says, with man, like it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And it's this, it's this verse that's a beautiful message of the gospel of, hey, if, if you want to ask the question of what do you have to do to get into the kingdom, you have to literally live a perfect life and it's impossible. But with me, I've actually made a way that's possible. I've made something that's completely impossible possible, and I want you to find me instead of your good works. Jeez. And this Ooh, crazy thing that people Man. are like, I'm going to win my football game is actually, no, you are literally going to go to heaven and have eternal life. Like it's so much, some people would say, oh, so it's not as good. No, it's way better. It's way better than passing your algebra test. You get eternal flipping life forever. And it's this great. And I think people also, this is just kind of like a little, this is a little double, double is that I think the entire story of the rich young ruler is misunderstood. Because the entire story of the rich young ruler is like, well, you didn't give up enough and he didn't do it and you better give up more. But the entire story of the rich young ruler is you cannot give up enough to inherit the eternal life. Wow. But Jesus has made a way for you. Oh my goodness. That's, that's a strong Ooh. pick, y'all. Strong pick. Ben. Matthew 19. Ben. Dang. Coming out of There's nowhere. no weak stuff. <laughs> that, I, and that I had a weak... I had a weak one and I switched it because I didn't, I, I had one about some random thing. And then I saw everyone was talking about the gospel. I was like, I gotta, figure, I gotta find a different one. <laughs> you were going to bring that weak stuff. I was going to be like, God, I'll say something silly. <laughs> Tyler, what were you going to say? Doc? I was just going to say about the one that uh, Ben just brought up. I just think that's such a, a beautiful, first of all, obviously it's the gospel, 
but also on the side of deception. I'm just commenting on the strength of the pick. That's all. On the side of the deception and how people read it, it, it really highlights that deceptive idea, highlights how people fall in love with the things of this world and think that they're missing out on something by receiving the gospel Mercy. and not realizing that, man, in Christ Jesus, literally more than we could ever ask or imagine has been poured out on us through the Spirit. It's just, mm. it's the most beautiful thing ever. But yeah, the highlighted idea of, wait, riches? Wait, passing my algebra test? If I don't get an A, I had a long conversation with a student yesterday. He was like, mm-hmm. I need an A. And I was like, Why? <laughs> You're the teacher. Way to go, professor. Yeah. No, literally. I'm trying so hard, Timmy. You need like, an You're a. my teacher, bro. Yeah. I know. She was so confused. But yeah, it's just that idea of like the things of this world are the things that are the dopest thing possible for us. And it's like, no, no, it's not actually the thing in Christ Jesus is. So that's a, that's a strong pick, Ben. That'll preach, man. That's Thank a you. whole Thank sermon, you. dude. I'll Damn. probably preach on it this Sabbath. Let's go. Oh, you got another pick coming right up after Tyler has two picks. Tyler, you got two picks, my man. Two picks. Two picks, my dudes. Uh, all right, and my first pick, <clears throat> my first overall pick. I'm surprised it slid this far. You guys are going to be Johnny kicking Flynn. yourselves. <laughs> You're going to be kicking yourselves with this one. I'm going with Old Testament. Oh. I'm, y'all zig, I zag. I'm oh, going Old no. Testament. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 9. Oh, oh. oh. John yeah, Tom, you knew it, John. I'm going to have to call an audible now. You knew oh, it, Jeremiah 17, 9. Everybody had picked that one. <laughs> Everyone had the as their number one, one Old the Testament list. Uh, list. Yep, that's how you know it's a good pick because all y'all are scratching it off. Jeremiah seventeen nine, and I'll pull it up just so that I actually read it perfectly. But what everybody always says, this one comes up all the time. I'm trying to tell people about the good news in Christ Jesus and what He's done for them, and they say, "Uh, excuse me." Jeremiah seventeen nine says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's Amen, wicked, brother. it's deceitful. My heart is trash. Is that your church member who gave you the 12 points? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? <laughs> to be clear, I'm picking this as an Old Testament text, not the keep reading. But if you were to keep reading for a very long time and you got to Jeremiah 31. And you got to John chapter 3. <laughs> <laughs> keep Just reading keep the, whole, reading. <laughs> the whole canon. Keep reading. Then we would see that you know, God has promised to actually replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He has promised to write his law on our hearts. And so the beauty of the gospel is that we have been given a new heart. And that old heart that was deceitful, this, you know, going back to First John 1, going back to Romans 3, the verses that you guys have picked, this is right in line with those same things where we actually believe that because we certainly all were slaves to sin at one point, that we think that that is still the case, that we are still, we have a heart that is just deceitful above all things, desperately sick, who can understand it? We think that literally we are our own worst enemy because, uh, you know, the experience apart from faith definitely solidified that lie until Jesus came and just said, nope, nope, I'm going to actually give you a new heart. And so, yeah, that one is very misunderstood it's taken, it's ran with, and I just wish we would keep reading to find uh, the gospel in Jesus Christ. My, my favorite president at Union College had a whole sermon about this verse, and it was just doubling down like, you're trash, but Jesus is good. And if you're preaching you're trash, but Jesus is good, what you're not preaching is the resurrection. You're not preaching that you raised with him in newness of life. 
And I used to love that sermon. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm right there with you. Give it uh, to me. President, I'm trash. <laughs> Jesus is good. <laughs> I had a conversation with a brother yes, literally yesterday, and this is going to uh, give further evidence to the strength of all the picks so far, but Jonathan's I Die Daily. I mentioned, I literally talked to somebody yesterday who heard me preach about Colossians 3 and putting on the new man, putting off the old, and he was just like, I've never considered that. And as I questioned him about why he'd never considered it, the I Die Daily comes up. Like, don't, isn't there like this need to like kind of do this daily. And I, as I asked him more for the clarification, what emerged was this idea that I have a wicked and deceitful heart that needs to be put to death every single day. So that way I can put on the new. And it's just, it is a chain. It's a chain of sand. That whole, how all of those connect the wrong way that when we actually see them in the light of the gospel, they all connect in a beautiful way, which is, yes, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. First John 1, though, anybody that confesses, he's faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And he has actually given us a new heart. He has actually given us something new. Yo, this thing about, this thing about these sermons that are like, you're trash, but Jesus is good. You imagine... Steve Jobs on the stage for a Apple reveal, product reveal, right? Um, and and maybe it's it's well, not Steve Jobs is going to be a better analogy, you know, R.I.P. But he's sitting there and he pulls out an iPhone, right? And like his brand is Apple, like he is the epitome of Apple. He pulls out an iPhone. And he's like, yo, this Apple right here, this Apple phone right here, this is trash. This is trash. But I'm a good designer. That would be incongruent. Nobody would do that for like, you would nullify the brand, right? <laughs> it's, it's more to the point of this very good iPhone has been corrupted by Android malware. But we can overcome it and we can restore it back to what it was created for, which is this is a dope phone. Right? It's like. So this idea of like you're trash, but Jesus is good is that then. Then Jesus is whack if I'm trash because he created me. Like God created me. So how is he good if I'm trash? He's a whack designer. Unless. I was created in love, by love, for love, and I was created, like humanity right, as a whole, was created good. He saw and it was good. And then an enemy has come and done this and have, has enslaved us and corrupted us. So all our attempts at saving ourselves in righteousness are like filthy rags because they can't actually do anything. Only the good designer that knows what we were created for and how we were created can actually do something. So even even this these these things that are so like, yeah, Jesus is dope. We suck, but Jesus is dope. No, then Jesus sucks by virtue of us sucking because we mm. are made in his image. So we're gonna Ooh. I just don't get so, it. And that's why that was a good pick, Tyler. Yeah, and I'm gonna parlay right off of what he just said into my next we're gonna keep going mm. round two now, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second okay, round. so now I'm gonna go to the gospels. Oh I'm gonna go to the <gasps> gospels. This is not a keep on reading. This is just a gospel misunderstanding right in line with exactly what we've been talking about. 
Uh, oh, shoot. And I just thought of the verse, so I, I'm not sure which chapter it is. <laughs> Nervously <laughs> Googling. Tom Nervously Googling the citation. In the Gospels. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's be real. You got that tab open. <laughs> Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, verses 44, 45, and 46. Through 46. 44, 45, and 46. This is the parable of hidden treasure and the pearl. And it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, whack preacher Tyler from 10 years ago preached this sermon and he said, so this is why you guys need to know that Jesus is a treasure hidden in a field. And I'm just here to tell you that you are not willing to sell all you have. If you're not seeing the victory in your life, that's because you still aren't willing to give away everything you got for the sake of having that kingdom. Tyler's and like, you gotta, you gotta break all your video games. You gotta sell your Pokemon cards. You gotta get you gotta rid shave of your head and look just like me. <laughs> Literally, I, I parlayed it into the rich young ruler. You gotta be willing to get rid of all your riches in order to have Jesus. And uh, I'll never forget, Jonathan, Amen, the time brother. you and I met with my friend and you read this verse to her. And it was probably the first time that I had heard it in its proper context. That the very simple misunderstanding is that we think that this parable is first and foremost about us finding Jesus, but it's not. It is first and foremost about Jesus seeing us, a treasure and a pearl that's hidden in a field. And when he found it, what he found is that there is something of immense value that the owner of that field does not value. In fact, he lets dirt get all over it, doesn't even know that it's there, and tramples all over it. And when he sees that, he goes, and like Philippians 2 says, Jesus did not see equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself. He gives all that he's got so that he can have the field because of how valuable you were. And to anybody who's like, but it's also about getting rid of everything yet. Sure, but the only chance that we can love God is because he first loved us. So as much as this can be about the kingdom of heaven and us also being willing to get rid of, the only way you're actually able to live a life of just self-giving goodness and a life that you're willing to put it all on the line, you're willing to face death daily for the sake of Jesus Christ is because you recognize that he already did it for you. So you were the pearl first. You were the treasure first. He made you that. So that way you can also see him as the pearl and the treasure that he is for us. Mercy. That's just good, man. That's just good. And I love the stories uh, that have come up from, from, people seeing this verse in real time and their life oh. being like their eyes being open and seeing that they're loved. And, uh, it's beautiful. Man. I told you about the time I told a coworker, right? That's my favorite story of all time. I think I told a coworker and she doesn't really go to church. Have you heard of Jonathan? You know it, right? I can't actually directly quote it, but when it clicked, like I tried to lay it out for her so that she'd have the realization. And when it clicked, she got tears in her eyes and they, you know, it slips down her cheek and she looks at me and she goes, I'm the effing pearl. <laughs> and I was like, heck yeah, That's girl. <laughs> That's awesome. Ben, oh. round, round two. Round Second round for, for Ben Hameen. What's pick, your pick? Overall pick number seven. Six. I think. Six. Who's counting? Are you sure? Yeah. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. No, it's seven, Tyler. You did two picks. Yeah, you're right. There's Thank five you. of us, and I thought there was four. Keep going. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, I think because of what Tyler just said, I'm going to go. Uh, what did I already do? I did, did gospels. gospels. Yeah. I'm going to go Old Testament, Psalms Ooh. 37, verse Ooh. 4. I had that one. You took it. Let's go. Okay, here we go. Are you guys all there? I'm going to read in the NIV. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. This could have been a keep reading, I think, because people always quote the second part thinking that without a converted heart, God's just going to get like, hey, man, I really want that Ford Bronco, that Ford Bronco sport in the green. And I'm, you know, God knows the desires of my heart and he's going to give it to me. Not recognizing that this verse is much more about just living in Jesus, taking delight in the Lord and having that new heart, like Tyler talked about. We don't have that wicked heart. And we start to, I mean, prosperity gospel preachers really love this one. They love this one in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Sorry if someone's going to use that one. But they love it because they can easily just get people on the hook and be like, see, see, God's going to give you the desires of your hearts. Just keep pressing in, not realizing again that this has nothing to do with wicked desires. This has everything to do with being in Jesus, receiving a new heart. And as we receive a new heart, the things that we want are literally the things that Jesus is and has been giving us. I think of it like I have a friend, uh, his name's Juan. Juan is never going to listen to this. And even if he did, he'd think it, it's funny that I'm using him because he just is very, he just doesn't think Jesus is, there's even a remote possibility that he's real. And so he sees my life and he'll, and like, he'll ask me like what I do for fun. And I'll be like, oh, I like to go hiking, spend time with friends, you know, reading and things like that. And he's like, your life literally sounds awful. Like, I hate that. <laughs> but for me, like I have all the desires of my heart, like in Jesus, man, like I'm so content. Like I'm so full in him. Even when things are really bad, like I know that I'm, I'm all good. Like I'm in Jesus. The desires of my heart are fulfilled in him because his heart is in me. The thing is, Juan's heart hates my life. <laughs> Juan would, if Juan lived my life, he would absolutely hate it because his heart is not Jesus' heart. And so this verse... Juan's flesh hates your heart. Yeah, there you go. And the thing is like, yeah, we use this verse in just half of it. And we say, he's going to give you that Ford Bronco or whatever it is, that weird thing that you want. In reality, he wants to give you a new heart and then he wants to fulfill you so much no matter what's going on. Which oh, verse was this? Dude. This is uh, Psalms 37 verse 4. It was on the top for my Old Testament too. Yeah, no big deal. I swiped it. That's because you guys both just Googled most misunderstood Bible verses. I know. I know because uh, I Googled it and it came up. <laughs> Uh, no, no, that verse reminds me of uh, John 15. And uh, 15. You don't 14. get your third pick till later. You know what I'm saying? You're trying to saying, sneak pump, in picks. Pump, pump the brain. Nah, hey, 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 this, this is an That's, undercut. Hey, can we have the commissioner even, please mute Tyler's mic? Please mute Tyler's We need a ruling. It's we need a ruling from the commissioner. Out of line, out of order. It's just a good verse. John 14, where he says that anything he, we ask in his name, he will do. And it just falls right in line with, oh, yeah, that is misunderstood. Nah, I'm lying. Yeah. Get out of here. But, yeah, it just falls in line with that same thing. And I know we were talking about this uh, in Portland last year where we started going around the circle of friends and we were just like, what is the desire of your heart that you had prior to being set free that now has been fulfilled in Jesus? And for some people it was like, I just wanted, like Addison was supposed to be honest with us. He said, I just wanted like, like really good, true friends that I trusted, like that I knew I could trust. 
And he's like, mm-hmm. I have so many now. And for me, it was this desire to be affirmed. <laughs> and in Jesus, yeah. I'm so affirmed. <laughs> Like there's just so many deep desires of the heart. I think that's why the correction of the flesh hates the flesh for one. He hates that. But the deep desire is this probably desire to be satisfied, this desire for peace and security. Like there's to have joy and enjoyment. And uh, deep down, if you ask people what they really, really, really want and you get down to that, it seems like over and over, it's something that only Jesus can satisfy. So. Yeah, and that's I think that's so important because the flesh so often promises you the thing that you really want and can never it's just emptiness, right? It's just this is why when Satan speaks, he speaks his native language, which is lies, because over and over he just says, Ooh. Hey Rich, you know that thing you want so much, you get it by going left. And really you get it by going right, but if you're led away, you know, you're just gonna keep on going. And yeah, like the deepest desires are only found in Jesus. And that's where old uh Robert he says that he's like, I found out that Jesus isn't leading me away from my desires, but into the deepest and only real fulfillment of them. Mercy. Ooh, who's Robert? Yeah, who is this? R- Robert Bell. <laughs> Robert. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that all being said, um, I didn't see the, this draft playing out like this, and I did not know I was going to do this, but I'm doing it. Uh, for my second pick, I'm taking in the category Gospels from the book of Luke chapter 15. Verse 17. And it says this. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. People take this as they think the prodigal son has repented, that he has changed his mind and he has seen the goodness of the father. Um, And we're calling cap on that. That is not true. What happened was, what had happened was, he was hungry. He was hungry. <laughs> yeah, I'm hungry. It it wasn't like an epiphany of the father's love. He was hungry. And also he wasn't trying to get murked. He wasn't trying to get murdered out at the at the city gate. And so he devised a a plan like the Grinch. And uh and and his and his daddy didn't even let him get his plan out. So just his daddy just just localize it though, Rich, because the aware of self happens at his in his condition of enslavement, right? That he, he becomes aware of the futility of his condition. He, he becomes aware of how it is a self-awareness of the condition that he's in. It is not a revelation of the father's love, right? right? Where repentance is turning via a revelation of the father's love. What happened with the son is an awareness of his condition and the futility of it, which can be a precursor to repentance, to repentance but it is but not. It is not repentance. Yeah. Which and is why I thought why... about also picking this one, Rich. That's why I thought well, about picking this one. Well, if, if, if you would have picked, that's because, man. Tell because that, is, that is the way I read it. Three picks. I know, but that's the way I read this story. I read this story over and over and over thinking that this story is, again, a template to tell me how to repent. Mm. And that's That's what you're saying is the misunderstanding. Yeah, that's not it. That's not it. Um, And now we're going to go to Jonathan for his second pick. That's it? That's all you want to say about that one? I mean, we could talk forever, bro. But like, Justin, for you guys that don't know this in the background, Tyler's like, I got to leave. Justin's like, I got to leave. And Jonathan's like, I'm out of 5,000 in two minutes. And I want to get a couple more. Ver- if we can't get all the way through the draft, 
I do want at least a few more verses. But I mean, we could spend a whole sermon on on that. So I can't. And say we more. have. If anybody would like to, let me just quickly <laughs> plug. Dia numero dos in wave one. Or Haula SDA on Instagram. Oh, check our statistics. So, I mean, do you want to say something before you go on your pick? No, I think on, on that. No, I mean, if if I'm gonna if I'm gonna highlight a procedural emphasis for the draft is, I would think we'd rather emphasize spending some time on unpacking our picks as opposed to <laughs> speedily getting through picks. Because I know, but I'm trying to get to your pick, dude. Because I know yours is gonna be okay. What I want to say is, uh, you don't repent to get forgiveness. You are forgiven, and so therefore you repent. Uh, break okay. that down, preacher. Okay. Uh, so many people think that you change your ways, and God sees that you change your ways, and that he appreciates that you change your ways. So then he's like, oh, well, because you're really going hard, and you've changed your lifestyle, I will forgive you. But it is the kindness of God, and which is a text that hopefully is taken in context, Romans chapter 2. It is the kindness of God that draws repentance. So this man repented because he was forgiven. He wasn't forgiven because he repented. And so uh, <laughs> you guys are talking in the background. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I am upset. I thought it was a strong point. No, that's it's a, a strong very strong point. point. It's a very strong point. <laughs> you know, good job. Good job. I think that this has been probably one of the most, and I mean, in our own personal ministries, this realization that, and preaching the story of the prodigal son and reframing it not as being about the son who was prodigal, but about a mm-hmm. father who's faithful, has probably yielded the most fruit in terms of just people getting free from the lies that God does not love them. Like yeah. all of the yeah. lies about God's character undermine the truth that he mm-hmm. is absolutely, unconditionally infatuated with us, just loves us, loves us, loves us. And those lies that undermine it seemingly so often this beautifully masterfully told parable that Jesus gave just literally uproots those lies when it's read in the correct context, which is why I think so often the incorrect context is magnified because of the power of this parable. And the power of Mm -hmm. it is this is the heart of the father towards us as his kids. He has always seen us as, as his children, as his sons and as his daughters. And no matter what the condition of our heart, no matter what kind of lies we're believing, he's still running out to meet us. He's still absolutely emptying of everything that he's got and would do it over and over and over again just because that's how he feels about us. And so, yeah, the power of this one, I mean, this this is first round worthy just on that alone. We've seen people <laughs> literally, I mean, Jonathan, you've literally had somebody, I think, after this sermon about the prodigal son reframed as the faithful father, literally run down the center aisle of a church in response to this good news. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure where I heard it preached like this, but it's solid. (laughs) (laughs) Literally my favorite. This shift from like the Bible being about us and what we have to do to being a revelation of who God is. Like it's the same, it's the same principle at play with the parable of hidden treasure that Tyler, I think it was Tyler who we shared earlier. It's like, listen, dude, this is about understanding God better. It's about understanding his heart towards humanity that he's moved to action and he's not sitting on a mountain waiting for us to climb up said mountain. He came down, humbled himself and showed up to do what we could not do for ourselves. Yeah. There's this, there's this one guy that says that for repentance ever to even be a possibility, forgiveness has to precede it. 
that there's actually no other way because the minute that there isn't forgiveness before repentance is about trying to relieve and gain forgiveness. And it's about trying to relieve the consequences. Ooh, I I want to press you. Who's the guy who said that? Miroslav Volf. Oh yeah. Miroslav Volf. (laughs) He got that from Tozer. Oh, I don't know. I got it. I I read it in Miroslav in uh, what? I don't remember what. What book it and was. And now you're going to quote Vickis. Free of charge. Free of charge. That, that's his. That's the book. Vickis in his land <laughs> aggregation and the man. Was he in the, like apples? Birth, in the primary resource of... Uh, I I sorry, I only look at primary right resources. And say, I just want to interject on behalf of all the listeners and say, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a Goodwill hunting quote because I don't know no, the theologians. No, that I was <laughs> I was quoting the third season of SpongeBob. Please, I'm desperate. I'm desperate to know Jonathan's second round pick. No, I mean that's my boy Rich hit that that great Boston movie. So I quote Vickers, <laughs> and it isn't Vickers; it's Vickers. My my boy's wicked. My smart. boy's wicked. Smart. You like apples? How do you like these apples or them apples? Them apples. Oh. Um, so for right, my, my, my second pick in the inaugural Death to Life uh, Bible Scripture draft, I want to get a little nerdy, and I'm picking from the epistles, but Ooh. I'm picking from, one. from the letter of Romans, the letter to the Romans from the Apostle Paul, the fifth chapter and the twelfth verse. Uh-oh. The fifth chapter and the twelfth verse, which reads... Uh, depending what version. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, the I, I'm going to go, uh, the reason this is misunderstood is because our good friend Augustine, or Augustine, right? Depending on which you prefer, his version, <laughs> what do you say? Yo, big up Shout out if you're listening Uh, He was influenced by the uh, Latin Vulgate And understood that That idea of because Right, which in the Greek is like F-ho Or ep-ho He understood it to mean in whom As opposed to because So if you read it the way Augustine Emphasized it, the second half of the verses And death through sin, and so death spread to all men in whom all sinned, as opposed to because all sinned, right? And so this idea that all sinned in Adam, so that somehow we were collectively in Adam when he sinned, right? As opposed to because of Adam's sin, we were then all destined to sin. Does that make sense? So let me. So you're saying like all were in Christ, all were in Adam because we're all his seed? Yeah, or- something like that, right? Where, where one explanation is that humanity was literally in Adam, right? And, and that there's like some kind of physical union that we're literally in present participating in Adam's sin, right? So like metaphysically, um, we are in him. However, there's a consensus that that Greek does not mean in whom it actually means because, right? And that's the superior understanding. And but many people subscribe. So we weren't in Adam. So then Adam is our representative, such that his sin and guilt are imputed to us. Uh, 
because he is our representative. So whatever happens to him happens to us. So his guilt is imputed on us, right? And then this comes down to your understanding of justification. If justification is um, the removal of imputed guilt so that our justification in Christ is the removal of some imputed guilt that has been imputed upon us via Adam, right? Does that make sense, y'all? Y'all tracking with me? Think I'm, so. tr- I'm trying to. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm slow, but... Yeah. Richard, go get your MDiv and come back, all right? Yeah. I, 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 I am not wicked smart. No, but it's really easy that because Adam sinned... If, if All right, so if you take away the in him, which is all wrong, and you put because, then you're reading it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread... Listen close. So death spread to all men because all sinned, right? So then it's the, how do all men sin? Like, how does humanity sin? Because all sinned. All right, well, how does that happen? And the response for some is that, oh, Adam was our representative. So whatever he did then is imputed to us as being generated by in his lineage. You see what I'm saying? So Adam's guilt is imposed upon us. And that is the false way, correct? Well, no, what I'm saying is that this goes down to your understanding of justification, or it goes down to your your anthropology of the human. So how is it that we all sin in Adam? Well, I would offer that the consequence of Adam's sin is what then makes us sinners, right? And if you understand sinners as not merely those who have guilt imputed upon them via an action, but you first understand sinners as those born in the condition that they are actually missing the spirit of God in their lives. Well, then we who are born after Adam's sin are born in his image because we actually emerge into the world separated from God because of Adam's sin, therefore, we are destined to all participate in sin since we categorically emerge into the world as sinners. And again, sinners is to be understood as those who are separated, alien, and a stranger from the covenants and commonwealth of God. And the reason that you emerge as a sinner in the world is because since you are born in the image of Adam, you are born in the image of Adam after the fall, meaning after the spirit, the glory, the light, however you want to frame it, departed from Adam and he realized himself to be naked. So Adam as a being is once naked and unashamed. He sins. Now he becomes naked and ashamed. And that naked and ashamed is via an awareness of self because now he is disconnected from God in some meaningful way and his spirit-filled reality, his covering of light, whatever that is, he is separated from it. So what you have is Adam being separated from something in truth and in fact, so that all those that follow after him, those who are born in his image, 
also are born separated and they are also missing that which Adam was created with, but then lost. So those who follow after Adam are separated. Those who follow after Adam are missing. And because they are missing and because they are separated, they naturally emerge in the category of sinner, which by definition is someone who is separated, alien, and a stranger from the covenant of God. So that Romans 5.12 teaches us that we all sin because we emerge as sinners because of Adam's act in separating us from God. So that then justification is not merely the forensic imputation of God's merits back to you because you believe. Let me say that again. Then justification is not merely the forensic imputation of Jesus's merits on you at the moment you believe so that you hear the gospel, Richard, and you're like, I believe, I believe. And then somewhere upstairs in the accounting books of heaven, there is a little totem that is actually made in the image of Richard. And he has a Kansas city chief shirt on and it says Mahomes <laughs> on the back. And that's, that's your little totem that represents you in heaven. And the moment you're like, I believe, I believe, I believe you get moved from the death category into the life category because you believed. Right. And that's a forensic accounting, right. That right. then becomes right. justification. I would argue that justification is first that the human person that was separated, like all of humanity that was separated from the actual spirit and life of God because of what Adam did is now reunited back to God in the very person and body of Jesus. So that Jesus is the unification that Adam split. Jesus is the undoing of Adam's separation. Jesus is the actual union of God and man in a body in the way that Adam lost it. So that then justification is to actually have union with God in a physical body because that's what you were created for, right? So when Jesus is justified, when he is vindicated in the spirit and he rises to life, he rises as that very union in his person. Right. And he rises as that union in his person free from sin because he has died the death that is proper to the act of Adam. And he now stands on the other side of death, alive forevermore, a man united with God, God united with man, so that then from the fullness of his life, he actually gives that back to us. And when we receive it, we are then counted and in truth we participate in the reality that the hole that we once had has now been filled from the holy spirit and we have literally been transferred from death to life it's not merely an accounting but that in ontological fact because of jesus you are united with god through him so that romans 5:12 and its misunderstanding leads us into a whole field and network of meaning of what it means to be separated from God, but also what it means to be united with God. So preach on that preacher. I'm just messing. <laughs> yeah, is that all, is that all you want to say? Do you want yeah, so to go simply little, put, what I want to say is that so Romans, break it down for us, Romans 5, 12 yeah. leads us, can lead us into the place where we can say that justification is, you ready for it? Justification is the ontological transformation of the human person by union with God in Christ. 
Justification is not merely the forensic double imputation of our sin on Jesus and then his merits on us at the moment of our belief. That is not merely justification. Justification does not happen first in us. It first happened in, by him, for him, through him. So justification is secured in him. It's authored in him. So justification is the ontological transformation of the human person by union with God. And that happened in Christ. That's why he was vindicated in the spirit. And since he is our justification through his faithfulness, we then also stand justified. All right. That, New creations. New creation. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Hear Take me out. This easy, is what there, we're going to do. Just go to the last one. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do. We've all had two picks except for Justin. Justin's going to have his last pick. And then we're going to maybe continue this later. I have all of the what people have taken. We might finish this one later. We might not. But uh, we're going <laughs> to. We're going to. Yeah. I mean, we might finish this draft, but we might go to something else. I think it's been super fun. Uh, Justin, you're going to have the last pick for for this round of it because everybody's got to go. Um, and before you pick, I'll just say uh, his first pick was 1 John 1, 8. Jonathan's two picks are 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily, and Romans 5, 12, justification. Mine was uh, I'll have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God um, and uh, the prodigal son, Luke 15. Ben, ben was coming with some flames from... Uh, uh, Matthew nineteen twenty six, which is the desires of the heart. Uh, with no, God, all things are possible. Oh, with God, all man. things are fo- possible. And then Psalms thirty seven four, desires of the heart. Tyler was some whack tracks. I don't know what he was doing, but he had Jeremiah seventeen nine, uh, the heart is wicked and deceitful amongst all. And then Matthew thirteen, the pearl of great price. And now to cap it all off at this round, this session, J. Koo, what it do? All right, so. Following in uh, the steps of Jonathan, and I like this because it's a, it's one of the implications of justification is the ontological transformation of the human person by union with God through Christ. I like that a lot. Um, my verse that I want to submit is none other than 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Ooh. Which... <laughs> Ben was just about to step on my toes in uh, his additional commentary on Jonathan, as though Jonathan did not uh, give enough commentary. Uh, But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. I understand uh, that when most people hear the language of transformation, what they actually are thinking about is growth. To say that I have been transformed means that I have spiritually matured. To be say that I have transformed is to say that I'm growing in my moral, uh, you know, uh, buildup, that I am growing in Christ. But this is different than what the claim of scripture is, is that you're actually literally a different thing, that ontologically you are transformed through the person of Jesus. And so I think that this is one of those things that blows my mind is that in the former way that I used to see it is that I would use a verse like second Corinthians chapter five to say things like, man, and this is the reason why I will be a little bit more patient today. Hmm. And this is the reason why I might not curse as much. And cool, like growth is actually a part of the equation and that's good. And we want maturity. maturity. We want all of those things. So I'm not knocking it, but I'm just trying to say that 
what is on offer from Jesus is so much more and so much deeper and rich than just growth. And that is transformation. Because the old passes away and you become a new creation. You are a new creature. Ontologically, you are fundamentally a new thing. That's biblical transformation. And I think that's so important because that shifts transformation from being something that we believe in, from being something that like I am trying harder at, and if I don't, then I'm not transformed. Yeah, right? and because it's like, oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, yeah, so it's just like so many people get off beat with Christianity because they're like, well, I haven't stopped doing that, so then I, I must have been not believing something right, not doing something right, and that's why God hasn't transformed me yet, versus God has done something, and now our actual only responsibility is to believe in that. And the belief mm-hmm. actually starts to do crazy things that we can see, but it's walking by faith rather than sight, always believing above anything else. Yeah. And, and this is what's so dope about this verse is it's right there. This, this could have been a, a keep reading one too, because all this, namely the passing away of the old and becoming a new thing, all of this is from God. Hmm. So your spiritual growth and your spiritual maturity, your becoming a more upright citizen is important, but it is not the mechanism by which you establish yourself as a new creation. You are a new creation because you receive it through God. And one of the byproducts, one of the fruits are you grow and you become more mature and you learn. Anybody else want to comment on that before we, man, that's... I feel like everybody, even Tyler, was coming with uh, with flames. <laughs> Why is it so easy? Is it because he's so lovable I that we clown on him and all this stuff? It's so obviously true that my picks were the best. So it's like you know, it's like saying Tom Brady's a bad quarterback. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, he sucks at football because, as everybody knows, no, he's he's the best quarterback of all time. So you're gonna troll me because my draft was tight. That that's what it is. And I want to hear. I want to hear from people so, uh, which, which picks they liked, which ones they resonate with. So let us know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially if it has to do with the rich young ruler, <laughs> <laughs> or the prodigal son. You know who's nah. saying you know, who's to say? that one's kind of overplayed. All right, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. This episode was brought to you by gospel-loving listeners just like yourself. If you want to ensure more of these stories are heard by people and help build season three of the show and beyond, we'd ask that you please give to our building fund that's helping support the future of the podcast. It takes equipment and software and time and all that good stuff to make this an amazing listening experience for your ears. So we just ask that you help pay it forward like the person before you did to keep these amazing stories of God's transformative love rolling. You can go to lovereality.org slash give and choose death to life as the option to help us keep reaching more people and ensuring more episodes. Thank you so much, guys. Love y'all.